and it's an honor and a privilege to get to preach. Every time uh, Pastor Andy and Pastor Darla trust me with a pulpit up here, uh, I consider it a privilege. And so I'm excited to get to share with you a, a little bit this morning about a message that the Lord's laid on my heart called this, Identifying Marks. Identifying marks. See, uh, there was this um, friend that we had when my wife and I lived in Kansas City, and he and I had uh, similar identifying marks. Uh, we were about the same height. Um, we are about the same build. Uh, we both, God blessed us with these solar panels up here to absorb as much sun as we possibly could to power us throughout the day. And so we were at a 4th of July picnic, and uh, my friend and I were, were fairly close to each other, and my my wife walked up, and one of the signs of affection that Kendra and I uh, like to share with each other is that love pat right on the butt. Anybody else like own up to that love pat? Yeah, all right, there's some more of you, all right. Well, well, my wife walks up to what she thought was me, and, and it was that moment right as she was getting ready to, she realized not him, and so she reached for a devil egg instead and stuck it on her plate. It was, it was that close because there was some identifying marks there that, that related uh, us to each other, but she caught herself before she patted the wrong guy on the butt. Then we'd have to go to getting hitched and staying hitched and having a class together so that we, we could work through those issues and fight fair, right? Because that's what we got to do. Uh, but thankfully, we didn't get there. But listen, there's so many identifying marks, though, uh, ways that we recognize people. Um, I was joking around before service today. There's somebody in the office, Misty Matchett, um, and my wife before she got her, although she kind of has her own identifying mark still. You can tell when those two are walking through the office because they walk with purpose compared to other people. That's what I like to call it. And you can identify them by their walking pattern as they move through the office. They're, there was, a, and I can remember growing up in church, I could always tell where my grandpa sat in church because when it was a church service and you'd hear glory, glory, like, and, and this hand go up, I knew grandpa was sitting right over there. That was his identifying mark that I just knew, okay, grandpa's here. And, and we kind of understand this idea of what it means to have identifying marks. And so to me, what, what I kind of wonder is what a, does it look like for the church to have some identifying marks? What, what does the church look like? When people look at us, what is something that should stand out and they should say, oh, that's the church? Because I, I can tell you some of the things that I, I see happening is some of the identifying marks that we're latching onto are more cultural trends than they are biblical trends. That we kind of have this tendency that we have stopped choosing churches because they preach the Bible and we've done some homework on what they believe and decide to attend. But people start asking questions about, well, what is your stance on this? Are you conservative or are you liberal? Are you, how do you feel about sexuality and marriage and, and or critical race theory or wearing a mask? I know, it's like quiet. You can always tell when you hit a nerve when it gets quiet. And, and like to me, some of these are fair and great questions to ask. But when the answer to those questions become the way we identify if we're going to attend a church or not, then we're starting to get off course. Because that can be a very dangerous path if we're not careful because it leads to one degree of separation because the reality is the church exists for Jesus. And the word of God is the one thing that we should all find a spot to agree in and line up with. Amen. 
And, and so in this service, I, I want to share from the book of Acts. You can flip over there if you want to. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 4. Uh, you can thank the Arena Life Group for this message because I got an opportunity to go serve. There you go, Caleb, right back at you, show you some love. And, and this message was part of what we were going over in the Bible study. And the more I was thinking about it, I just felt like, man, this is a message that we all need to be reminded of. And so in Acts chapter 4, there's a couple of things I want to look at because I believe this. Jesus' church is to be marked distinctly different from the culture we live in. That culture is not what drives the church. It is Jesus that drives the engine of the church. And and there's a scripture in Romans that, that we read and we quote and we talk about all the time. But the reality is, it's exactly what Paul was referring to in this moment. He said, Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Don't copy this world, but do copy what Jesus has called us to. And so I think in Acts chapter 4, there's three scriptures that I want to point out, three points that I want to make. I can't read the whole chapter with you today unless you want to give me an hour and a half to preach, and I don't want to do that to you guys. So you can go home and read along if you want to, but here's the history of what's happening in Acts. Jesus died, he's resurrected, he's gone up to heaven, and he has now empowered his church to go be the church. He has filled them with his spirit, and he has given them a mission, and they have everything they need to go do what he's called them to do. And you you would think everything starts going great, but the opposite happens. In fact, everybody starts to get intimidated by how fast this church thing is growing. And so the disciples end up getting arrested, and then they end up getting threatened by the people that arrested them that they need to quit talking about Jesus and and quit having those kind of conversations. And so you move into the next chapter, and five, they get arrested again because they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus and what he'd called them to do. And this time, they threaten to kill him or them, and and they still won't stop doing what Jesus asked them to do. And so actually, Acts chapter 6, Stephen gets arrested and he literally gets murdered for his faith in Jesus. And, and in our minds, we would think, man, as a newborn church, as something that's trying to get going, this should have been the one thing that destroyed the church and stopped it from growing. But did it? We sit here today because of what God did in spite of all of those things. And we want to look around the world and say, oh my goodness, the wheels are falling off and everything's going bad. And how is the church going to be the church? Listen, God is not waiting for somebody in power to do his will. It doesn't matter who's there. He's going to do what he wants to do. If he could use Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh, he can use anybody, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden. I'll hit both sides of the aisle. How about that? But there's four things that I think made the church stand out. And and the first one I want to look at is in Acts 4, verse 8. Because there's this moment where Peter and the the disciples got arrested. And and Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts, he catches this scripture. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Did you notice what he said? Peter what? What? filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. See, I think people have a lot of things to say, but I think the problem is we don't need a lot of things to say. We need to start hearing what the Spirit wants to say and say those things. And, And I believe one of the identifying marks of the church should be this, that we should be identified by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. 
That that should be the thing that distinguishes us, sets us apart, a distinguishing mark in this moment. Because Peter, when he stood up to say something, we're going to read in just a little bit further, he was an ordinary guy. And everybody recognized that. But in this moment, somebody recognized, even though this guy was ordinary, there was a different power at work in him in what he was saying. And do people recognize a different power at work in us when we step into their world? Do they recognize something beyond our power, beyond our ability, uh, a power greater than us? Because Jesus gave each one of us the power of his Holy Spirit. And the actions and the words that flowed from Peter's life were easily recognized by those that were watching as the Spirit at work. And I want to be that same way. That, that when people look at me, they don't have to say, man, is that Jason? I want them to say, man, Jason got out of the way and the Holy Spirit did something through him. Amen. The Spirit's power, it, it, there was a study Bible, the one actually that we give to everybody that gets baptized. I was reading through it and it said, a believer's interaction with the Spirit is never static. A believer's interaction with the Spirit is never static. What that means is not like what happens to your clothes when they stick together, okay? Not like that. It is a lacking in movement, action, or change. That means our life should never be lacking in movement, action, or change because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. Because we can read all through the books of the Bible. You can go through the New Testament and we can see story after story about how God's power filled his people and miraculous things happened. You can read the book of Acts and realize sick people got prayed for and they were made well. You can read the book of Acts. Somebody literally died because somebody was preaching way too long and they fell out of a window and they raised him from the dead. Like y'all think some people around here preach too long. Like ain't none of you fell out of a window and died because somebody preached too long, okay? And they raised him back to life again. And then we read in scripture in the New Testament over and over again how God has given us the power of his Holy Spirit for great acts of faith, for miraculous signs and wonders, for, for words of wisdom and words of knowledge. I mean, there's this moment with Ananias and Sapphira where Peter gets this word from the Lord and, and he's like, no, that is not. You say you gave this much, but you're lying and they fell down dead. Be thankful every time we lie, we don't fall down dead in church. I'm just saying. That there's stories in the Bible of where Paul would pray for people to be filled with the power of the Spirit and they would be filled with the power of the Spirit and speak in other tongues. And there's this reality here, as comfortable or as uncomfortable as we are with it, the Lord has given us and works through his Holy Spirit in our lives. And and if that is an uncomfortable concept for you, here's all I'm going to ask of you. I, I heard this statement. This isn't even in my notes. And so I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit put that in my mind. It's a statement by Walt Whitman. Be curious, not judgmental. Hear me. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, just be curious and don't start passing judgment. Because if the Holy Spirit seems weird, it's not the Holy Spirit that's weird. We've made him weird, okay? Let's just own that right off the bat, okay? But be curious. Read the Bible with an open mind instead of a judgmental mind where you've already predetermined the outcome. 
Because if, if we read in there and we read scripture and, and you see these things happening in the New Testament, then we have to wrestle with this truth that, that the Holy Spirit did work through God's people to build his church. And when the Spirit worked through his people, the church grew astronomically. And so we, as the church, need to make sure that one of the identifying marks of who we are is that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. And some of that happens through those miraculous signs and wonders of healing and, and words of wisdom and, and speaking in tongues and all of those things that happen. But, but another way the Holy Spirit works through us and the New Testament supports this too, and, and you can see the Spirit at work in us, is this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. Because we all talk about like operating in the, in the gifts of the spirit in terms of something powerful happening. But the same spirit that can give you the power to speak in tongues can give you the power to control your tongue. It's called self-control, one of the fruit of the spirit. The same spirit can give you gentleness and kindness as the fruit of the spirit to deal with one another as the image bearers of Christ that we each are. That, that the spirit gives us the fruit of love to do the impossible and love our enemies, even though we can't. His spirit in us, at work through us, can give us the power to love those that seem unlovable. Amen. That just as Jesus could calm a raging sea and bring peace to the storm, his spirit can give us peace in the middle of the storm of anxiety and worry and fear and doubt inside of our soul. And there is the power of the fruit of the spirit working through God's people as much as there is the power of the miraculous gifts of the spirit working through his people. And here's what I'm convinced after reading scripture and studying it, I, I think my interpretation is I think people were drawn to Jesus not just because he did miraculous signs. I think that was part of it. But I think they were drawn to him because they saw the fruit of the Spirit at work in Jesus' life. And they saw him interact with and value people that other people didn't. And have empathy and compassion for other people that some didn't. That he had this joy that seemed to go beyond limits. And he had this peace that while the storm was raging, he could sleep in a boat. And I'm convinced that if we want to see the power of the Spirit work in our life in miraculous ways, it's going to be built on the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Our character built through the fruit of the Spirit builds the foundation for the miraculous power of God in our life. That is what I believe why Paul would talk about gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit in two separate settings. Because they're not opposing to each other. They're not two separate things. That is the Holy Spirit. And it's a full picture of who he is in our life. And we, as a church, should have the identifying mark of all of the picture of who the Holy Spirit is. As we leave this building and go into our neighborhoods and go into our workplaces and go into Kroger, drive down 105, like whatever it takes to lose your cool, go sitting in the car line at school right now, okay? 
We should be identified by, man, there's something different. There's a power at work inside of them that I don't have and I want it. There's a power that's at work there that, that the reality is we can't do without the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen? There's another aspect here that, that I want us to point out. The second point I want us to get. See, in, in Acts 4.13, he goes on to say, um, as they were uh, sitting there having this conversation with the council, um, it says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. Anybody feel ordinary? Anybody feel like I ain't got no special training? Guess what? God don't need it to use you, Okay. You just got qualified. That's a freebie too. You can have that one for later. But here's what sticks out to me in this. It says, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. It, it's interesting to me that, that Luke says they were recognized by, as men who had been with Jesus. Now, I get it. it. Contextually, these guys had literally walked with Jesus, and they recognized that these men had spent time with Jesus. But the principle still applies here. If, if people on the outside look at us, would they say, man, they look like somebody who has spent time with Jesus? Because his church should be identified by their connection with Jesus. That when people look at us, they should see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. But as people look at us, they should recognize, man, it's Jesus in them doing this. In fact, the, the Spirit often works for really one reason, and that's to point people to Jesus. So anytime the Spirit gets weird because it's pointing to a person, it's not the Spirit, man. Because the Spirit works to point people to Jesus. And these men stood out because they had spent time with Jesus. And there was something about that connection and that interaction and that time in those three and a half years that they had spent with Jesus that changed who they were so that when other people looked at them, they knew they had been with Jesus. And the question for us is the same today. How are we making time to spend time with Jesus so that we can look like Jesus? Because you will not look like somebody you don't spend time with. How many people have you seen married for 40, 50, or 60 years and you start to think like they were brother and sister, like they've been together so long? Like they kind of start looking together, acting the same, eating the same food. They have the same mannerisms. Why? Because they've spent a lifetime together and they have started acting like each other because of the history that they have together. That you spend enough time around people, I pick up terms. I spend enough time with somebody that I'll leave nameless, and, and she likes to use the word butthurt, and guess what I start using? The word butthurt, all right? And if that offends you right now, don't be butthurt. Like, I mean, just move on. Let's go. Um, but, but as we spend time with people, we, we begin to pick up the same things that they pick up on. We begin to act the same way they act. We begin to think the same way they think. And that's why it's so important for us to spend time with Jesus. Because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we look like him. Amen. And that starts here on a Sunday morning. But if this one hour is the only time you have with Jesus in your week... 
I, I don't know how else to tell you, but it's going to be really hard to look like Jesus off one hour out of seven days. This is a great starting place that should turn into a daily habit of time with Jesus. That this isn't the final resting point, this is the launching point. That should become something in your life, a pattern every day where you open up scripture and you say, Jesus, how, what do you want to say to me? And how can I make my life more like your life? Read the New Testament and begin to look at how Jesus lived and ask him, how am I supposed to live so that I look like you? That's a great starting point to spending time with Jesus and making your life begin to look like his. And then guess how you do it? The power of the Holy Spirit working through you, giving you the power to be something you can't be. That, that we have this thing called One Connection that we had last week, and some of you signed up for it because you got all excited because there was a food truck and you saw some people around there and you felt all the energy and like you're already giving up on that commitment that you signed up on last week. It's okay, like I see people every time I used to go to the gym, January was the fullest month of the year, by March they were all gone, like I just knew. It's gonna thin back out again to the normal crowd, give it time. Listen, we don't want the normal crowd to thin back out when it comes to One Connection. There's a reason we offer Bible studies and classes and life groups that meet everywhere so that we can do all that we can to get around other people that are excited to be more like Jesus. Because if you surround yourself with the right people that are excited about Jesus, you're going to find yourself getting excited about Jesus too. Amen. Who you surround yourself with will determine the course of your life. And people say that I just need my Bible and I can stay home alone. I, it it doesn't work that way. We need each other. We were created as the body of Christ. Even though we may be a lot of different parts and we may have different purposes, it takes all of us coming together to spur each other on, to move each other on, to become more like Christ. And there was something about these men and the women that had spent time with Jesus, that as these guys talked about them, they begin to say, man, there's something different about them. See, here's the danger that I'm concerned of, that, that we're going to get so good at being professional Christians that we're not actually going to be Christians. We're going to learn how to play the game. Show up for church, drop a little money in, go back on, and then, and then just show back up next week. But nothing really changes. So the problem with that is scripture. Because like we talked about before, our relationship with God, with his spirit, is not a static one. It's not one you come and plug into on Sunday and walk away for six days of the week and then come back for another plug-in on Sunday. It's meant to be ongoing every day, moment by moment. That we lean into him and we trust him and we ask him to mold us and shape us. Is it easy? No, but we don't do easy things. We do the right things. Amen. Is it going to take an effort? Yes, it is. But if we want to get there, then we've got to make the effort. And, and I would just suspect that if we took an audit of our life, if we were to take our calendar and our schedule and write it down, and see the amount of time we spend in other places, we begin to see the time we have to start investing in our relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but every Sunday morning, my phone tells me how much time I've spent every day on my phone, and I recognize, wow, I've got a lot of time that I could be investing somewhere else. That there's more to this life than Facebook and Instagram. 
And Jesus wants us to make space for him. He wants to invade the space of our life. He wants us so desperately that he left heaven, came to walk on earth, and gave up everything to die for us so that he could be close to us. That's how badly he wants to spend time with you. I don't know anybody else that has wanted me to that level. Not the way Jesus did. And so the fact that we've spent time with Jesus should be the thing that shapes what people see. When people look at us, what do we want them to see? Do they want them to see Jesus in us or do, they want to, do we want them to see somebody that looks like the rest of the world around them? And if we don't like what people see, guess what? Today is the day you have the power to change that and do something about it. There's a third scripture here that I want to point to with, to me, a, a third identifying mark that, that marks who the church is. Because in this moment where they got arrested and they got threatened, okay, they just responded so much differently than I think I would have. They got arrested, they got threatened to remain silent, and then they decided to still get together for a prayer meeting. And then what blows my mind is the fact of what they pray for when they get together in that prayer meeting. Uh, Acts 4, 29 and 30 literally says, and now, O Lord, this is their prayer. Hear their hearts and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Like they got together after being arrested and threatened and they didn't pray, God, keep me safe. They didn't pray, God, protect me. They didn't pray, God, deliver me from this mess I'm in. What did they pray? Make me bold to proclaim your word. See, I think another identifying mark of the church should be their boldness. That the church should be identified by their boldness. And hear me out. David prayed at times for protection from his enemies. David prayed at times for comfort and security in difficult situations that he was in. But the end goal of his life was not to be safe and comfortable. Hear me, Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could be safe and comfortable. I'm just going to say that right now. And in this moment, there was nothing safe or comfortable about what they were doing. And I would feel like if I got arrested, I got threatened, I got arrested again, and this time they threatened to kill me. And then the next thing I know, one of the guys that was part of my group literally gets arrested again and murdered right for everybody to see. I'm going to start questioning whether this Jesus thing is something I should follow. But they didn't. They kept doing it. And, and in fact, they asked for boldness to keep doing it in spite of all of the bad things that were happening to them. What would happen in this world if we would quit praying for comfort and safety and we would start praying for boldness from God? 
You want to change this country? You want to change this world? It's not going to be happening because we get more comfortable or we get more safe. It's going to happen when bold people stand up with a message of Jesus Christ and proclaim it in the forum whether people like it or not. That's what will change. And, and listen, again, let me just reiterate, they didn't need the government on their side to do that. They did it without the government support, and the thing worked out pretty good in the end. And so, so if you're waiting for the right set of circumstances to align in your life where it's comfortable for you to do something for Jesus, you're probably never going to accomplish anything for Jesus because he's got this knack for sticking us in situations that are uncomfortable where we have to put faith in him. And I'm just convinced if if we could begin to pursue a prayer of boldness in our life, we could begin to turn this world upside down for Jesus. That that if we had this heart for this same desire, and and what's incredible to me is, is the fact that they did not just ask for boldness, but the scripture literally says that you would give us great boldness. Like if I'm gonna ask for something, I'm asking big, like great boldness. And that word boldness, like if you look it up, here's, here's this, it kind of breaks down the whole thing and the ideas that that word carries. It's an outspokenness. It's an unreserved utterance. It is a freedom of speech with frankness and candor and cheerful courage. And it is the opposite of cowardice, timidity, and fear. And it is a boldness that that word literally means it comes through a divine enablement. Remember that first point about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life? That's what he's saying. Why would they pray for boldness? Because they needed a divine enablement from heaven to come into their heart, come out of their mouth, and do something they weren't capable of doing on their own. That's the kind of boldness that they were praying for. That's the kind of boldness that they were asking for. And I still believe it's the same boldness that Jesus wants from us today. A a people that will move in the power of his spirit, that will move according to the fruit of his spirit and live opposite of what the culture dictates in this world so that when people look at us, they see his spirit at work and they see Jesus at work and they see people living radically, boldly different than the world around them and they begin to want what we have. Why? Because it looks different than what they've got. And I think this is what made the early church stand out And I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus has called us to pursue a bold life, not a safe one. If if your goal in life is a safe life, then you will do nothing more than simply arrive at death safely without living life. Because we read from Genesis to Revelation and all of the stories that we like to stand up and celebrate were people taking bold steps for Jesus. Moses going before Pharaoh was a bold step. David fighting Goliath was a bold step. An ordinary apostle standing in front of the very people that had crucified his Lord and Savior stands up and says, this is because of you, but we're here to talk anyway. 
Those things happen because somebody has a spirit-empowered boldness in their life, and they can't shut up and keep it in anymore, and they're going to share it with the world in spite of what's happening around them. That is the history that God still wants to write today. That I'm convinced one of these days we're going to get to heaven and the Apostle Paul's going to want to walk up to us and say, tell me about that time. <laughs> like we keep looking, like I'm telling you, Paul would give anything I think right now to come back down and be here in one sense. Like, I don't know, like maybe exchange in heaven, but there's something to think about this time in earth that we get to be in and how excited some of those guys must be to think, man, I would have given anything to have the platform you have, to have the opportunity you have to share your faith the way you could share your faith. And yet we sit quietly by and play it safe and try to stay comfortable. And all the while, a world around us goes to hell. I don't think that's what Jesus ever intended. And I don't think that's what he called his church to be marked by. I think he's called us to be marked by the power of his spirit to be marked by the presence of his son working through us and this holy boldness that sets us apart from the rest of the world. There's this book I read. It's called Lion, Chasing the Lion by Mark Batterson. He has this thing he called the Lion's Chaser's Manifesto. I, I literally have it screenshot on my phone so that every day I, I look at it. I kind of feel like it was a fitting way to start the land, the plane. The Lion Chaser Manifesto, it goes like this. It says, quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar, set God-sized goals, pursue God-given passions, go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems, become part of the solution. Amen. Amen. Face your fears, fight for your dreams, grab opportunity by the mane and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails, live for the applause, for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail, dare to be different, quit holding back, quit running away, chase the lion. You want to know how we can live in a way that identifies us different than the world, that would begin to change the world around us? To start living this life like the goal is to plunder hell and populate heaven and not play it safe. To start facing our fears with faith, faith in Jesus. To start running towards problems with the hope of Jesus rather than running away from them. To dare to fail and trust the success to Jesus. To fight for God-given dreams rather than settling for a mundane life. To be part of that solution. To build futures rather than to relive the past. To live for that applause of those nail-scarred hands rather than the social media likes and shares and live for that applause even if it means the rest of the world around you isn't clapping for you. Th that was the church that turned Rome upside down. 
That was the church in one of the most oppressive settings that it could have found in history with an enemy who was fighting as hard as he could to squash what Jesus started the day he rose back from the grave. And he couldn't stop it. And he still can't stop it. He can't stop it today. But we've got to quit living like a scared church and we've got to start living like a bold church. And we've got to stay on the mission that Jesus has called us to be on. And, and not let somebody else's agenda shift us from the agenda that Jesus gave us. Because, the Satan, because Satan is really great at making copies. Imitating something very closely with just one degree of separation from what Jesus called us to be. And in that moment, it can be hard to recognize, but you get 10 years down the road and you're going to recognize that one degree of separation has led you down a path that you did not intend to go at all. And I think we set at a pivotal moment in history to make sure that we stay focused on Jesus, stay focused to being a church that is empowered by his spirit, full of his spirit, living on mission that he's called us to live. And if we let those things distinguish the way that we live and the things that we do, there is hope for this world. And there is hope for the life to come. And Jesus invites us to be part of the process. Like that's, that's the part I, I still to this day don't understand. Like I don't know why Jesus invited me or you. Whoops, look at that. To be a part of this process. I mean, if you, again, to, to point out what he said in Acts, he picked an ordinary person like Peter. Unskilled, untrained, and he turned the world around. Really with 12 people that most of the world had rejected. If you look at the 12 people that he put together, they should have failed to begin with. Peter had a bad temper. Thomas had a bad attitude. They had a tax collector in there and everybody hated him because he was taking advantage of all of them. You had a zealot who hated the Roman government and you had a tax collector who supported it because they supported him. The, the group of 12 people that he concocted and put around made no sense at all. It would look kind of like this. It would look like God grabbing a handful of Republicans and a handful of Democrats and sticking them together and saying, this is what I'm going to do to build my church. Like we look at that and we're like, yeah. And then we think about today and we're like, <laughs> it's the same thing. That he took a, a ragtag group of people that I'm sure at times struggled to see eye to eye, that struggled to come into agreement, that struggled to see what he was up to with the people that he picked, but just trusted him enough to be bold enough to take the risk the farm bet and hedge all their bets on Jesus. And we sit here today because of that. And Jesus invites you and I to be a part of that same future for somebody else. But there's a room full of kids back there that are waiting for us to do our part until they can take the mantle and run with it. And guess what? 
we're only ever one generation away from Christianity being irrelevant. And guess who holds that responsibility right now? We do. You want to change this world? Go home and teach your kids how to be bold for Jesus right now. Teach your grandkids. Teach your nieces and nephews. Quit waiting for Pastor Amber or the church to do something. You start doing something. And let us help you. How about that? Start talking to them about what it means to make bold decisions and not just safe decisions. Start talking to them about what it means to trust the Holy Spirit to work in their life and how you're trying to let him work through yours. Tell them the moments when you fail because those are going to be some of the best moments that they're going to appreciate one day because they're going to see that you weren't good enough, but you were willing to own up to it and keep pressing on anyway. Go find a neighbor. Go find a friend. Go find a coworker this week to share your faith with. I've started, people come up and have started saying, hey, they recognize me now. I think it's the bald head and the big beard. It makes it really easy to point out. And they're like, hey, could you pray with me about this? Or could you just keep me in your prayers? And I'm like, sure, but let's just pray right now. Like, I'll pray for you later, but let's just own it right now. Like, I don't care where we are. Let's pray. Why? Because God's just waiting for somebody that's bold enough, maybe a little bit crazy enough to do some big and radical things for him to turn this world upside down. He's waiting for a faith in us that honors the size of God that we serve. Let's be those people today. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Maybe you're here today and, and you, you want something like this. Like, like you've grown up in church. You, you thought you had an understanding of what Christianity was or what it was about, but, but you recognize that, that, man, you haven't been living for Jesus. That, that maybe there's something inside of you that recognizes, I want that. I don't want one more box I got to check. I want a relationship with a real God that loves me and can empower me to overcome all of the places that I fail and give me the power to be the people that he's called me to be. Because again, he's not looking for a perfect person. He took the ordinary, the untrained, and it doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum or how you feel about yourself. You're the one that Jesus died for and came to save. So if that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus before, or maybe you made that decision a long time ago, but you've just not been living for him and you want to make a new commitment to him today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up so that we could put a Bible in your hand and pray with you? Keep your hand up. They're going to bring a Bible to you. And as soon as they put that Bible in your hand, you can put it back down. If you raised your hand, would you mind looking up at me? Would you mind to come up here and, and let me pray with you today? We don't want to embarrass you at all. It's just what we want to do to celebrate really what Jesus is doing in your life today. And I would just love if you would give me that opportunity. But yeah. I'm so proud of you. What's your name? 
Brooke, listen, everybody's clapping because they've all done the same thing. Like nobody's judging you here. We just want to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life and do what we can to help you keep living for him. Like I said, this is the beginning, not the end. We want to help you keep growing close to him. So I want to invite you to pray with me. I want to invite all of you to join with us in prayer. And there's nothing magical about it, but I believe you mean it, that Jesus has an incredible plan for your life, Brooke. And you're not here by accident. And I know that he's going to do some incredible things. And there's lives he's waiting to touch through you. And that's why you've raised your hand today. He wants you, but then there's other people he's going to use you to reach too. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I need you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. I choose to live for you and stop living for myself. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Brooke, I want to just encourage you. If, if you don't live around here, find a church to get plugged in. If you do, we want to get you plugged in here and help you keep growing in this relationship with Jesus. Because today's the first day. I can promise you the enemy is going to try to frustrate you and stop what happened today. But the difference between those that know Jesus and those that don't, we all mess up. We just get back and keep running after Jesus. We don't stay down. I just want to encourage you to keep getting up and running after him, okay? Would you go visit with that lady over there real quick? Lone Star, yeah! Can we stand all across this place? Mm. How many of you would say that, man, this morning, I want to line my life up so that I can be a, a model, a, a identifying mark to the world that can see the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus at work in me. And then I'm going to quit making fearful, afraid decisions and start making some bold decisions for his kingdom. Amen. Can we keep those hands up? And let's just make that our closing prayer together here today for those of you that are watching online. Man, Jesus, let us be that church that, that is marked by the power of your spirit uh, to do miraculous things that would point people to you, but to let your miraculous work come inside of our hearts and begin to build your character and the fruit of your spirit in us and through us, Lord Jesus, that, that we would learn to spend time with you and be intentional to start making space where we can pursue you and get along with you, Jesus, because as we spend time with you, we'll begin to look like you. And I pray, God, Give us great boldness to declare your word. Make us uncomfortable with being comfortable, God. Let us begin to learn to find comfort in taking bold and radical steps with you. And where we want to give in to safety, I pray you would ruin safety for us and that you would just create this desire to want to speak boldly, live boldly, do boldly things for you and for your kingdom, Jesus. And we just ask it all in your name. Amen. Listen, our prayer team is down front here. If you would like somebody to pray with you today, please come down and let one of them pray with you. We love you guys, and we'll see you back next week.